Welcome to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast that takes you freewheeling down the great internet rabbit hole of trivia. Each week we pick a starting point and then who knows where all the twists, turns and tangents will take us. But we'll be sure to unearth a treasure trove of frivolous facts that will be as fascinating as they are, well, useless. When One Thing Leads to Another is produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. Our theme music is by Justin Mitchell. This is Series 2, Episode 13. Seven Tears. So as you, Bill, know, we were in the car recently and we had the pleasure of hearing Seven Tears by the Goombe Dance Band. Seven tears have flown into the river. I absolutely love that song. It's a great song. It's brought me right back to being a seven-year-old. I know that because it spent three weeks at number one in the UK singles chart in March 1982. So actually, technically, I was six. Okay. And that was the fourth time a German act had topped the UK chart. Yeah. Six weeks after Kraftwerk had topped the charts with The Model. That was February 1982. And Boney M with The Rivers of Babylon and Mary's Boy Child in 1978. Right, so the Germans were very much uh, invading our charts, if you will. <laughs> very good. <laughs> well, the thing I noticed about Seven Tears by the Goombe Dance Band, and I think I commented on it at the time, was the amount of blimmin' key changes there are. Yeah, they just keep stepping up, don't they? Yeah. That, by the way, has four key changes in it, which is a lot of key changes. That is a lot of key changes. Yeah, so it got it got me thinking about or wondering if four key changes in a song was a record. And what did you find out? It's not. No. There's a few other songs that have um, f- four key changes. Okay. Beyonce's Love on Top being one of them. That also okay. has four key changes. But the award for the most key changes has to go to... Go on. Chain Reaction by Diana Ross, written, of course, by the Bee Gees. Oh, OK. There's about eight. Wow, eight yeah. key changes. Yeah. So, key changes in general. The Beatles weren't afraid of a key change. Penny Lane has a key change. And Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds has three different keys within the first minute. Wow, that's just smashing through the keys early doors then. Yeah, the verse, the pre-chorus and the chorus are all in different keys. But it's done in a very sophisticated way so it doesn't feel like a key change. Bross, When Will I Be Famous, is another example of an interesting key change. Some people think that the Bross key change is the greatest key change of all time. (laughs) And I might be one of those people. Oh really? Yeah. Honestly, you're going to have to listen to it because it's absolutely brilliant. It happens at the end of the middle eight, which is already interesting in its own right, as the tempo changes for a start. Instrumentation goes all over the place so that when the key change actually comes in, it's actually a bit goosebumpy. Well, for me, anyway. Oh, OK. Honestly, you will have to check it out. I will have to revisit that tune and uh, see if I get the goosebumps. Yeah. So there you go. Key changes. I really enjoyed researching that subject. So I thought I would look into the singers of Seven Tears, the first key change based song which you mentioned by the Goombay Dance Band. I found out this. 
Goom Bay is actually a bay that is in St Lucia ah. in the Caribbean. Yeah. And interestingly, St Lucia is one of just two countries in the world to be named after a woman. Oh. Can you tell me what oh, the second the... one is? No, go on, well, tell it, me. Well, it's Ireland. Oh, Era. Yeah. Era, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She was a woman. She was the Celtic goddess of fertility. Fertility. Fertility, so she was. Yeah, so um, there you go. Two countries named after women. And St Lucia is the only country to be named after an historical woman, as it was named after St Lucy of Syracuse. Oh, I see. So an actual historical woman as opposed to a um, mythical goddess. goddess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Although the reasoning behind the name is unclear. Okay. Um, what we do know, though, is that it was the early French settlers who so dubbed the island after the patron saint of blindness and throat infections. What a weird... So St Lucy is the patron saint of blindness and throat infections. Yeah, when you were handing out the old patron saints and that, and there was old Lucy in the queue and... Uh, she was well at the back of that queue. She was well at the back of the queue and saying, oh, yeah, oh sorry, Lucy, all I've got left is I've got blindness, I've got throat infections. Go on, I'll take, I'll take the pair. Can I take the pair? And then this got me on to the saintly subject of patron saints. Oh, do go on. My first flat when I moved to London in Hackney, our patron saint of that flat was Brian Harvey out of East Oh, really? Yeah, just amused us. Um, <laughs> there are some pretty random patron saints out there, and I'm going to give you a few, okay? So, St Ambrose. Okay, St Ambrose. Who... Is he the um, patron saint of custard? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alas, not. Uh, he is the patron saint of bees. And then we've got St Cecilia. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cecilia. Yeah, she's the patron saint of singers, musicians oh. and poets. Oh. And difficult marriages, apparently. Oh, again, weird. Yeah. Maybe that's where Simon and Garfunkel got the inspiration for the lyrics, Cecilia. Cecilia, you're, you're breaking, breaking my heart. You're, you're shaking my confidence daily. Oh. Difficult marriage. And then you've got St Hilary, who is the patron saint of snake bites. Snake, just snake bites. That's pretty specific. Don't ask her if you get bitten by a dog or a spider. She's not interested. Not interested. St Patrick is not only the patron saint of Ireland, oh. as we all know. Yeah. But did you know that he is also the patron saint of Nigeria? Oh. And Montserrat. Well, I did not know that. Yeah, and various cities and regions. Um, for example, Mercia in Spain. Oh, so he gets around, doesn't he, old he, St. Patrick? He was probably quite near the front of the queue then because he, they were just yeah. dishing him out willy-nilly yeah, to old uh, St. Yeah. Pat there. And before his canonisation, St. Dennis was beheaded and oh. he is often depicted holding a severed head. Oh, right. What do you think he is the patron saint of? People who behead people, like, you know, gilly, uh, what do you call them, executioners? Nearly headaches. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm, I'm really enjoying this patron saint countdown. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to join in, if I may. Go on in. I found a few uh, good ones. St Bibiana <laughs> is the patron saint of hangovers. So I, I should maybe offer some prayers up to St Bibiana next time I have a bit of yeah. anxiety. Yeah, exactly. She's your go-to saint. Yeah. St Drogo was so oh. afflicted by a mystery ailment that made him physically repulsive that he's now considered the patron saint of unattractive people. Good grief. Entirely unrelated, 
He's also the patron saint of coffee houses. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. And then you've got St. Julian the Hospitaller. Right. Um, which isn't easy to say. Um, <coughs> but his name refers to the fact that he opened a hostel for travellers and dedicated his life to providing hospitality for the sick and needy. Okay. And I was thinking, oh, I like the sound of this guy. Until yeah. I then read mm. uh, that he only did this after he'd killed his parents. Oh, right. And for that reason, he's the patron saint of murderers. Why on earth would murderers need a patron saint? Redemption, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Well, I went down a rabbit hole after reading about St Drogo, St Drogo, you know, the patron saint of ugly people, ugly people and, and in, coffee houses. In coffee houses, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've got some fun facts about coffee and coffee houses for you. According to legend, 9th century goat herders discovered how caffeine affected their goats, who looked like they were dancing probably high on caffeine, after eating the coffee plant's fruit. Oh, OK. And after that discovery, the cup of coffee as we know it was born when a local monk made a drink with the product and discovered that it kept him awake all night. Wow. And the first actual cafe is said to have opened in 1550 in Constantinople. And it wasn't until the 17th century that cafes opened in Italy, France, Germany and England. Right. Yeah. And coffee was introduced to Londoners in 1652 by an eccentric Greek by the name of Pasqua Rosé. Wow. Yeah. He was brought to England from Turkey by his former employer, right. merchant Daniel Edwards. And Pasqua started selling a black gritty liquid called cave, K-A-V-E-H, cave. And by 1663, uh -huh. so, you know, 11 years later, there were 82 coffee houses in London. And 40 years later, there were more than 500. Wow. So coffee became popular in England before tea. Oh, so wow. even, yeah, they were brought to London around the same time. But at the beginning, coffee was way more popular than tea due to the lower prices of it. Well, how about that? Yeah. And in his diaries, Samuel Pepys yeah. recorded the stimulating conversations he overheard at the coffee houses he frequented. And most coffee houses catered to a specific clientele. Right. The Grecian coffee house near Fleet Street was a meeting place for Whigs, you know, the old political party, they the old liberals. Yeah. Yeah, OK. As well as members of the Royal Society, like Isaac Newton, oh, who yeah. once dissected a dolphin on one of the tables in the coffee house. Wow. Meanwhile, poets John Dryden, Alexander Pope and writer Jonathan Swift oh, yeah. held court at Will's Coffee House. Jonathan Swift probably uh, liked to tell a fart joke or two over a coffee there. I imagine he would have done. Yeah. Do you know which country <laughs> drinks the most coffee? I'll have a guess. Italy. Yeah, that would be a very good guess. But according to the International Coffee Organisation, the average <laughs> adult Finn oh. consumes 27.5 pounds of coffee per year. And in comparison, the average weight an American consumes is only 11 pounds. Okay. So it's the Finns. The Guinness World Record holder for the oldest cat ever Bear with me. You might think I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here. Yeah, I feel the, like I've missed something. Yeah, here. the oldest cat ever, who was a 38-year-old cat named Cream Puff. Nice name. Yeah. Well, that cat drank coffee every morning her whole life. Wow. Cream Puff's owner, Jake Perry, said that her diet consisted of dry cat food supplemented with broccoli, eggs, turkey, bacon, coffee with cream. <laughs> And every two days, 
an eyedropper full of red wine. Wow. Yeah. Perry claimed that this diet was key to her longevity and that the wine circulated the arteries. God, tell you what, old cream puff lived the life of Riley. Yeah. I then, if I may now, that's taken me off on a, another tangent, had the joy of reading about a few famous cats, one of whom was Katmandu of the Monster Raving Looney Party. Right. You, do you know who Katmandu is? No, I have no idea. Right, so he was a cat who was named joint leader oh. of Britain's official Monster Raving Looney Party from 1999 to 2002, along with his owner, party chairman, Howling Lord Hope. Oh, OK. Yeah, and he died in 2002, serving as leader until his death. And this then got me on to another leader of the Monster Raving Looney Party, Screaming Lord Such. Well, he's the one I remember. Yeah, yeah. who, of course, you will have heard of. Um, he had quite a musical career before the Monster Raving Looney Party in the 60s. Right, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, he released a song called Jack the Ripper in 1963. Which was actually banned by the BBC. Okay. Yeah. He also released an album called Lord Such and Heavy Friends in 1969. Okay. Which was him, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, wow. John Bonham, amongst other respected musicians. But that all turned sour, though, as, according to Jimmy Page, it was only supposed to be a bit of a jam session, a bit of messing around in the studio, just, just for larks, really. And Screaming Lord Such released it. And that album has been voted the worst album of all time <laughs> in a 1998 BBC poll. Well, I thought I'd have a little deeper look into the Monster Raving Looney Party, oh, yeah. seeing as that's where we seem to be. Now, did mm. you know that, despite its satirical nature, some of the pledges that featured in the Looney Manifestos have actually become law? Oh, really? Rather interestingly, such as passports for pets. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> the abolition of dog licences. Oh, right. Okay. And one of my favourites, the all-day pub openings. Oh. Yeah. Not so loony then. Not so loony. Other suggestions, so far unadopted, included minting a 99p coin. Oh, OK. Well, that would be useful if you went into the 99p shop. And I sort of think of the Monster Raving Looney Party as having their sort of heyday in the sort of 80s and 90s. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Um, I read with great interest here, their biggest share of the vote, of yeah. votes, actually came in the 2019 general election. Wow. Where they got uh, 9,739 votes. Wow. And then I veered onto another, let's say, quirky political figure, mm. Count Binface. Count Binface. He's sort I of, like he's, Count Binface. Yeah, he's sort of like the new Lord Such, isn't he, I yeah. suppose? And here are some of Count Binface's policies. Okay. Are you ready? One, bring back CFAX. I am right behind him on that. <laughs> I bloody loved CFAX. <laughs> okay. Or the jokes page. Anyway, yes, go on, tell me more. Nationalise Adele, <laughs> which is rather good. Rename London Bridge to Phoebe Waller Bridge. Okay, right. Okay, okay yeah. we're getting, getting, a, getting a bit silly now. And move the hand dryer in the men's toilet at Uxbridge's Crown and Treaty pub to a more sensible position. Okay, that's very specific. There is nothing worse than a 
ill-positioned hand dryer in the toilets, though, oh, in a really? pub. Really? Yeah, happens all the time. Really? Yeah, they'd be right by the door or something, and so people coming in, and they, yeah. they disturb you as you're trying to dry your yeah. hands. Oh, oh yeah. And Count Binface, he stood in the London mayoral election in 2021. He, yeah, you he might did. remember that. He yeah. did, yeah. Yeah, and some of his policies while standing for mayor of London... Oh, yeah, some were quite sensible, weren't they? Right, was for London to rejoin the EU. Yeah, well, yeah, namely that. Loud snacks to be banned from theatres. Yeah, you see, I like this guy. He makes sense. <laughs> and the use of the speakerphone function on mobile phones to be banned in public. Yeah. I think I'd agree with him yes, on that too. Yes, totally. And any offenders caught would be forced to watch the film version of Cats every day for a year. Now, I think that might be a little bit too cruel. <laughs> And he finished ninth in in the mayoral election. Out of out of how many? Out of twenty candidates. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, top half isn't too yeah. too bad, is it? Yeah. So how many votes did he get? Do you he, know? Yeah, he uh, well, yeah, he got nearly twenty five thousand votes. That's not bad. Which isn't too bad, yeah. is it? Ninth out of twenty. So somebody called Count Binface beat eleven ca other candidates. Yeah, you wouldn't want to oh, be one of those other eleven candidates. Yeah. <laughs> Staying on the subject of mares, okay, mares and cats, actually, to be specific, Stubbs was an American cat who was the mayor of Talkeetna, Alaska, from July 1997 until his death in July 2017. Okay, I get it now. You yeah. threw me. I was thinking yeah. mares and yeah. cats. Where are you yeah. going with this? So a cat was mayor of a town in Alaska for 20 years. 20 years? Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine what his policies would have been. Yeah. Free, free tuna for cats. Scratching posts every 20 yards down Main Street. Yeah. And um, Mayor Bobby Tufts oh, yeah. of Dorset, Minnesota, wasn't a cat. Oh, right. He was a human, albeit um, one of very few years, because he became mayor at the ripe old age of four. What? And he served two terms before being succeeded by a 16-year-old. This then brings me on to a, the brilliant and my final fact of Ooh. today, is that all elected mayors of Rabbit Hash, Kentucky, have been dogs. Oh, yes! Thank you for listening to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please rate and review us on wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an episode. We'd also love to hear from you, especially if we've got any of our information wrong, or you have some more fascinating facts about something we've talked about, or you could even suggest a subject for our starting point. Our email address is when one thing leads to another at gmail.com. A massive thank you to Justin Mitchell for letting us use his music as our theme song. It's a track called Homo Erectus, taken from his fantastical album called The Garden of Earthly Delights, which is available to buy from bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Acast for hosting us. Join us next week for another episode of When One Thing Leads to Another. Please note that all facts have been found on the internet and therefore we cannot vouch for their veracity. Mm -hmm.